Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning into the Sheila Zielinski Show this Friday, November 18th, 2016. I broadcast weekdays, that's Monday to Friday, typically at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on WINB. And of course, you can go to the Listen page and find out many more ways to listen, including the customized app for all smartphones. That's a great app, getting a lot of good feedback. They're expensive enough. Take advantage of them. You can check out the podcast. So many ways to listen to the program. Do like me on social media. I haven't really built that up, and so I'm really trying to do that. I'm not a fan of social media, but why not take advantage for the glory of God to do something in the midst of all the other stuff going around? It's amazing. You can get 7 million likes on some mindless thing on YouTube. So again, I'm trying to build my YouTube channel up. I had my old one taken down several years ago. It had over 100,000 subscribers, and I'm trying to build myself up again. That got taken down for content because none of my content is ever controversial. (laughs) Yeah, that's a whole other show. Well, speaking of shows, I want to jump right into the program today. I have on Jerry McGee, powerful deliverance minister from Texas, and I wanted to have her on for a while. She's a conference speaker, and she travels around a lot, and she really blesses people with her teachings. And she's going to do a powerful teaching today on the law of sowing and reaping, Boy, that affects everything right down to your finances, let me tell you. Boy, the devil was trying hard not to have this program happen. It's been a struggle with our Skypes and connecting, but finally we connect, so it's great to have you on the program for the first time and hopefully one of many more. Thank you. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Oh, thank you for letting me be on the program. The enemy's tried to keep us off for a long time, but... He is not going to win because every day of our life has been scheduled by God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah is right. Well, I'm just going to hand you the mic, Jerry. I know you like to start off in prayer. So I'm going to just give you the mic and you can do this very powerful teaching. Take it away. Okay, thank you. Well, let me pray first. Lord, we just come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you that you said if any two agree upon anything is touching heaven or earth, it shall be done unto them. And Lord, we want you to be glorified tonight. We want the truth that sets us free and sets each person who listens in free. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just take authority over Satan. I bind you, Satan, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, wicked spirits in heavenly places. I bind you in the heavenly places and on this earth. I forbid you to work with, communicate with, make contact with anyone on this earth or in the heavenly places to work divination against this program, against Sheila, her her family, and the concerns of every person who's listening in. We nullify, make void, and cancel every word of death, word of iniquity, curse, assignment, satanic ritual spoken over this program, spoken over those who listen in, spoken over Sheila and myself and the things that concern us in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we just want you to be glorified in every life changed, Lord, including ours. And Lord, because of the power of your Holy Spirit, let me speak what I could not normally speak in the name of Jesus. Well, tonight this message is on the law of sowing and reaping. 
I don't know if you realize it or not, but each of us are spiritual gardens because God says in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, that we're a building, that we're a house, and we're a field. We are spiritual gardens. And every day, things are being planted in our lives well, we were born with many things that have been planted in our lives because of the generational iniquities of the forefathers. But every day, there's because the word of God is seed and words are seed, every day we are planting and sowing into our lives, good or bad, evil or good. God tells us in Jeremiah 1 that we're to pull down, uproot, and pluck out, and we're to plant and rebuild. And, of course, the way we pull down, uproot is even through deliverance. Because there's things growing in our spiritual garden that have to be uprooted. You only need to look at the fruit to know what kind of seed has been planted. And the law of sowing and reaping is that whatever we sow, we will reap. And um, and whether we want to believe it or not, God has spiritual laws that govern the universe. There's the law of gravity. You say, well, you know, I don't believe in the law of gravity. Well, jump off a big high building and see if you don't come crash into the ground or <laughs> throw a ball in the air and see if it doesn't come down. That's the law of gravity. And, you know, there's the law of aerodynamics. You know, if you've flown in a plane, when a plane's taken off, I mean, it is struggling and fighting to get out of the law of gravity that's pulling the plane down. And it sounds like every screw is fixing to fly out of the plane when it's taking off. But, you know, when the plane reaches another level, another law takes over that pulls the plane upward. And that's the law of aerodynamics. There's the law of physics that says if my distance from the from the wall and the size and weight of a ball and my throwing power, I can determine with what momentum that ball's going to come back to me when I throw it against a wall. And of course, there's the law of sowing and reaping. You get more than you sow, later than you sow, and the same thing you sow. And so, uh, if it's good or bad, evil or good, whatever we sow, we're going to reap. And we're all reaping what we've sown without exception. There's not anybody that's excluded from this. Every thought, every word, every deed, every attitude uh, at some point in our life has to be dealt with. People even need deliverance from what they heard when they were in the womb. You know, little babies can hear in the womb. Example would be John the Baptist. Um, when he was in his mother's womb, Mary, uh, Elizabeth's womb, when he heard Mary's voice, he leapt for joy, and the scripture says, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so if that was good things he heard, that was a good, but if it was negative, uh, we need deliverance from the negative things, especially if we were illegitimately conceived. Babies can hear, they're not wanted. Or a parent may say, you know, it's a girl and it's a boy. Well, that opens the child up to rejection. But... Um, you know, many people think that because Jesus died and praise God he did at the cross that we don't have to deal with heart issues. And of course, the spiritual garden is the heart. And uh, Jesus died at Calvary and he made it he made it a way for us to be delivered from every lawless deed. It says in Titus 2, the grace of God appeared to all men, instructing them to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And then he went on to say that he died to redeem us from every lawless deed 
every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So that was the purpose that Jesus died at Calvary, that we might be delivered from all these lawless deeds. Well, there are so many things that have happened in all of our lives that we couldn't um, we couldn't do it in one day. I mean, sanctification is a it takes a lifetime and we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You know, if God showed us everything that was wrong with us at one time, we couldn't take it. We'd probably have a heart attack. But God drives out the enemy little by little. And he will allow conflict to come in an area of our life that he wants to to correct us and to change us. And so people think that they don't have to deal with their stuff. You know, the church is full of religious people. You know, Pharisees and religious people, they just dealt with the outside and where God's disciples will deal with their heart issues. And it's called sanctification, and it'll take a lifetime. Philippians 2.12 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And how this works out if, well, the word salvation means deliverance from the molestation of the enemy. And I don't know if you know, too, in the Bible, when it talks about salvation, that word, it means sozo, which means salvation, healing, deliverance, preservation, and to be made whole. And that all goes with salvation. It's easy sometimes for us to believe in salvation, but deliverance and healing and preservation and to be made whole, we have doubt and unbelief, which we shouldn't have. And God is changing all of us to really believe his word. And the way we work out our salvation with fear and trembling is if we don't take accountability for the things that God shows us. And first of all, he will allow conflict to come into our life to get our attention. And he lets the enemy attack us. We may not like that idea, but he allows that to get our attention and to correct us and to to realign us with the word of God. The scripture says that God disciplines every son whom he loves. Now, the discipline, you know, he doesn't have to spank us if we listen. Discipline, sometimes we think it's, it means um, a spanking. I asked a little girl at a seminar once, I said, does your mother discipline you? She said, oh boy, yes, she did. Said she threw me up against the wall. You know, that's not a discipline, that's child abuse. But God disciplines us because he loves us. And the discipline is just to correct mistakes and to realign us with the word of God wherever we're out of whack. Now, if we don't listen and we're willfully rebellious, then yes, God does spank us. And I've discovered that I don't want God's spanking. And I'm sure we've all had God's spanking. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes. And if, if we don't take accountability for the things that God shows us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we'll keep on reaping that thing and we'll reap it through our children, our grandchildren, our jobs, our businesses, our bosses, our sons, our daughters, our sons-in-laws, our daughter-in-laws, our mates, and our relationships. And it'll just keep on reaping. It's kind of like the children of Israel, another lap around Mount Sinai. We'll just keep going around and God will keep allowing conflict in our life till we deal with these things. It says in Proverbs 16, 7, if a man's ways please the Lord, it makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So when my enemy's not at peace with me, I'm saying, okay, Lord, what is it you're trying to show me through allowing this conflict? And you know, I think one of the greatest things God's teaching me, when something bothers me about someone else, it's always God trying to show me something about me that he wants to change. And Jesus said, 
that if we that we're to treat others the way we want to be treated, not only was that a commandment, but he was saying, however you treat others is how you will be treated. And how we treat our mothers and fathers is a way where we really do reap a havoc. In Deuteronomy 5.16, it says, Honor your father and mother that all will be well with you and your days will be long upon the earth. And, of course, the word honor doesn't mean you have to like them or fellowship with them or even be with them if they're satanic or evil people. But it means to honor their position. It means to forgive them by sundown. An example of that, we'll say, in fact, the Bible says, fathers provoke not your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so every place of father and mother does not bring a child up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. They provoke them to anger. There's an automatic anger issue every time a parent does not train his child up in the way he should go. He provokes him in whatever area that he misses the Lord. And you can have the best parents in the whole world, but no parent is perfect. And so we all have issues. For example, if, say, we're not loved and we're rejected or we're not taken care of, and we, we don't know as little children to go to God with that, so what we do is we um, turn to a promise we make ourselves. And we don't know that the scripture says that if we let the sun go down on our anger, that we give the devil a foothold. Well, we don't know that. And unconsciously, we turn to a promise if we don't go to God with the problem. And most children don't know that. They turn to a promise they make themselves. When I get out of this house, life's going to be different. Or I'm going to find someone who will love me, take care of me, protect me, or whatever the issue is. And because of that judgment and letting the sun go down on my anger, that sets up a reaping process that wherever I go throughout life, I'll find people that don't love me, that reject me, that don't take care of me. If I marry, I'll either marry someone like my mother and father or I'll be like them. And so that sets up a reaping. So I could say right now that scripture in Deuteronomy 5.16, if I don't honor my mother and father, life doesn't go well. And so I could stop right now and say, ask you, where is your life not going well? And you could trace it back to that violation of that scripture. And so we could do deliverance right then. I had great parents, but when God first taught me this principle years ago in 1998, I think, I just started repenting and I filled up two or three pages of judgments I'd made on my parents. And I had great parents and I could trace a lot of those judgments back to the problems I was having in other relationships. And so the Bible tells us we're not to let the sun go down on our anger because we give a foothold to the devil. And if you don't go to God with your problem, would you agree you're going to something else, which is a false God? And those false gods, every place I have a false God, every place I have turned to a promise or a vow, an inner vow, an outer vow that I've made, I've really turned to a false God and I'll stay wounded in that area. And that'll open me up to button pushers. And I have another message on button pushers that I'll teach sometime, but it's like any time you turn to an idol, you've got a raw sore place down in your heart. So whenever you get your button pushed, it's that hot wire is attached to an idol. And so God says that he is not pleased with our idols. And so the way we stop the reaping is to take whatever God shows us to the cross, repent of our sin, forgive, ask God to forgive us for letting the sun go down on our anger, and ask him to cancel the reaping. In the parable of the sower, in Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke 
Luke 8, in the parable of the sower, Jesus mentions four kinds of soil, and each of us are one of those kinds of soil. And he says the sower goes out to sow the word of God. Well, we're all soil, and so if the sower is sowing the word of God, the word of God brings health and healing to our life, but there's also things being sown in our life through words that contradict the word of God. We've sown things into our children's lives, and we've sown things into our own lives by our own mouth. Parents have cursed us and sown uh, negative words in our life, and, the, and we're, we're experiencing the fruit of it. But in the parable of the sower, in the first soil, it says that the, the sower goes out and sows the word of God. Then the, the seed is stolen, and later on in that passage, Jesus explains that the birds of the air that take the word of God is Satan and his demons. And so... That's Satan's job is to steal the word of God out of our hearts and to cause us to want to plant something else. If I had a nickel for every time I've ever said I was fat, I'm telling you, I'd be a millionaire. And you probably would, too, over some of the negative things you've spoken. We sow things in the lives of our children. And, you know, I have a son that died of AIDS when he was 25. But when he was a little two years old, he would lie to me. And I didn't know about the power of words. And I'd say, that kid is the biggest liar. Well, guess what? I planted that kid is the biggest liar in his life. And he was a liar his whole life until he got saved at 25. Three days after he became 25, he died of AIDS. But praise God, he's in heaven. And if anybody wants to see his video, you can go into YouTube and look up Todd's Greatest Regret. You can see his testimony of 13 days before he died. But um, I would speak I would speak things on him as a child and and I didn't just out of ignorance, you know, I didn't know about the power of my words. And so I sowed those things in his life. And those of you who are listening who have problems with your children, pull down, uproot and pluck out the things that you've spoken over your children's lives over the soil of their life, over the garden of their life, and begin to plant the Word of God. And what I should have said to my son, instead of saying, you're the biggest liar, I should have said, you're going to be punished. You lied, but you are not going to be a liar in the name of Jesus. That's the way to correct and not the way I did it. I remember when he was two weeks old, his aunts, my aunt said, he's just too pretty to be a little boy. And I wanted a little girl so bad that when I was pregnant with him, I was so disappointed when uh, they told me I had a boy. After my aunt said that, I was bathing him, and I spoke over him, you'll just have to be my little girl. And he told me a month before he died, he said, Mom, I've always felt like I was a girl. You see, I planted that in his life. And so if you've got problems with your children, you need to start pulling down, uprooting, and plucking out the things that you've spoken and begin to plant and rebuild through speaking the Word of God over their spiritual garden. And... um God tells us in Proverbs 4.23, he says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. And basically saying, watch over your spiritual garden, watch what other people are trying to plant in you by speaking. You know, I'm believing the Lord's healing my eyes, but so many times people will say, well, she's just blind. And I say, I break that curse in the name of Jesus. I have 20-20 vision Amen. in Jesus' name. <laughs> I heard one man say, I have clear, sharp, focused vision, night or day, day or night, 
near or far, in Jesus' name, I'm saying that every day because I overcome by the blood of Jesus and the word of my testimony, and I love not my life even to death, and that's how you overcome too. Our words keep us from overcoming. It keeps us in bondage. We speak death over ourselves, death over our children, and God wants us to speak life from this day forward. And so when we have when we fail to guard our spiritual gardens and watch over our heart, we'll be like this man in Proverbs 24, where it says in Proverbs 24, 31, I passed by the field of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles, its surface was covered over with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Now, can you imagine a garden that has no fence around it? I live in the country, and I have to have a fence around my, my gardens, or the rabbits eat my vegetables. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so uh, this is p- a picture of a man and his garden. The fence is broken down. And basically it's a picture of a person who does not have God's hedge of protection around him. Because if the fence is down, all kind of wild animals can get in there. And he says, when I saw, I reflected and I looked and I received instruction a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come like a robber and your want like a armed man. And so God's saying just a little sleep, just a little slumber. In other words, this is a picture of a believer that does not take care of his spiritual garden. He doesn't watch over his heart. He allows things to be planted. And, you know, when people speak negatively, negatively of you, you need to break the curse right then. Don't receive it. In Luke 13, verse 6, Jesus began telling this parable. Um, A man had a fig tree which he had planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and didn't find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I've come looking for uh, fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it. And put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. Now that's a picture of a fruitless Christian. And you know, God's given us another chance to bear fruit. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 9, I've already quoted this, says, You're building your house, your field. Isaiah 5, 1 says, Let me sing now of my well-beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill, and he dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. Now, he's the true vine. He's the choicest vine, Jesus. And he built a tower in the middle of it, and he also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it only produced this worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard than I've not done for it? It says in Second Peter that Jesus has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He didn't leave anything out. And then it goes on to say, Why then, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? Let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. Now, at the first part of this, that came right out of, I mean, Luke 13 came right out of Isaiah 5. He says, so let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. There's no fence. There you the hedge down. I used to uh, know Milton Green, and I used to attend his seminars. And he'd say, when we violate the word, he'd say, hedge down, sick them. In other words, the minute the hedge is down on us, the enemy has a right to, to attack us. He says, I'll remove its hedge, and it will become consumed. That kind of means eaten up 
kind of sounds like cancer, doesn't it? I will break down its wall and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste and it, and it will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up and I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. Now, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit. In John 15, God says he's going to prune you if you produce fruit. He says he's going to prune you. In, in here in Isaiah 5, it says if you're fruitless, you don't get pruned. This is why we can count it all joy when we go through trials because, because God says if you're fruitful, I'm going to prune you. I'm going to keep cutting you back so that you can produce more fruit. And Isaiah 5, 7 says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. So he's saying that the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, so we are God's garden. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. And that word distress means stress. You know, people go to the doctor all the time, and the doctor says, well, I can't find anything wrong with that's just stress-related. Hey, that's because the hedge is down. That's because we're not producing fruit for the Lord. There's a cry of distress. And when the fence is down and there's no hedge around us, it is a cry of distress. And so we need to get into God's refuge. Uh, the best way I know how to do that is just to get on the potter's wheel. God's the potter and you're the clay. And so the potter does all the work. The clay just yields to the potter, and it's the potter's job to take out the junk, to fashion the clay, mold the clay, shape the clay, fire the clay, and create what he put us here for. Our part is to just yield to God and let him come under the control of the potter, and that's being in God's refuge. Uh, John 15 says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now, we just read in Isaiah 5 that he don't prune you anymore if the hedge is down. I mean, you're being ravaged by the enemy. John 15 verse 4 says, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. And uh, there again, I'll, I'll mention the potter's wheel. The way we abide in Christ is that we yield our junky clay to the potter. And the potter does everything. All we do is the yielding part. God won't do our part, and we can't do his part. You know, legalistic people are trying to turn the potter's wheel. You know, they're performance-oriented, and they think that God wants them to, to do it themselves. And it's only as we abide in Christ that we can produce fruit. And the best way to know how to abide in Christ is just to present your body to God as a living sacrifice. And you can't miss God when you do that. And John 15, 6 says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them in the fire and they're burned. Matthew 7, 19 says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Now, I want you to picture yourself as the Bible describes you as a field, a vineyard, soil, dirt. First Corinthians 3, 9 says you're a field. Uh, Matthew 13, Luke 8, uh, Mark 4 says your soil. Genesis 1 says your dirt and earth, dust and earth. Isaiah 5 says you're the vineyard of the Lord of hosts, and your heart is a spiritual garden. Everything you say, think, or do really comes out of the spiritual garden of your heart, evil or good, negative or positive. Uh, James 1, 
14 says, but each one of us is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. So then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Romans 7, 18 says, for you know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present within me, but to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I do, I, I would do, I do not. But the evil which I would not do, I do. Now, if I do that which I would not, it is no more I doing it than sin dwelleth in me. I find then another law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? This sin in the members is basically things that have been planted in our life through things we've done, things that have been done to us that we've not forgiven other people for, things that have been planted generationally, things that have been said to us, spoken to us through movies, TV, internet, words, eating off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Things have been planted down in our spiritual garden that's producing negative fruit. And so what we plant, what the generations plant before us in the garden of our heart will be revealed by the kind of fruit produced. And we're all, all of us are born with a garden full of mess just because of the generational iniquities of the forefathers. And we all have a history because of the things that have been sown in our and planted in our lives from the time that we became a living being and today, even from the time we were in the womb. And so we're responsible for what's been planted there. And so for us to plant and rebuild, we have to begin to tear down and uproot and pluck out. And basically, that's what deliverance is. And praise God that Jesus died, that we can reclaim lost opportunities and we can be redeemed from these things. And the land that we have to possess now, he tells us where to possess the land. It's the spiritual land. And what we have to possess now is what we didn't possess as children. And the things that bothered us as children are the same things that are bothering us now if we didn't deal with them. So how do we cancel this law of sowing and reaping? How do we do it? First of all, you ask the Lord to show you, but listen to what you say, because that's coming out of your heart. Pay attention to what you're thinking, because that's coming out of your heart. And when I say heart, I'm talking about the spiritual garden of your heart. The problems God allows is really showing you what he wants to change next, what he wants to fix next in his sanctifying process. James 4, 7 says, give yourself to God and resist the devil and he'll flee. And basically that's deliverance in a nutshell. James 3 says, the tongue is a fire, the very world, world of iniquity. And it goes on in to say that it burns down a forest. And, the, and of course, there's a forest of trees that are listening in tonight. And we're trees, it says in Psalms 1, we're trees. In Matthew, it says that in Matthew 12, it says that the tongue speaks out of that which fills the heart. So what's coming out of the mouth is what's down in the heart. You know, I've heard people say, well, I was just kidding. No, you really weren't because it's there or you wouldn't have said it. And so listen to what comes out your mouth. And if it's something you're always saying, you need to find out what kind of seed was planted. And Matthew 15 says, it says out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man. And so that's coming up into your thought life. You know, the Bible tells us we're to take our thoughts captive. Well, you can't take your thoughts captive till you find out how they got there. You know, there's a difference between a fiery dart 
you know, the enemy will attack your mind or he'll say something, he'll, you'll hear a fiery dart. And if you can take that thought captive, get out of here, Satan, I break your power. That's one thing. But if, if you, if that keeps happening, it's coming from something that's down in your heart. Mark Forrest says, if we don't take care of how we listen, that even what we think we have will be taken away. So we have to pay close attention to, to what we listen to. If faith comes by hearing, so does fear. And fear is the opposite of faith. And what we listen to will either build our faith or what we listen to will open us up to fear, which is the opposite of faith. You know, it's really, we've all been programmed to eat off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's easiest for us to believe some of the lies we hear over the television or the internet. It's just easy to believe because we've been eating off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so much of our life. It's hard for us sometimes to believe what God's Word says because we haven't been eating off the tree of life, which is to, to know what God's Word says and to believe it. And many people are distressed and perplexed by the influx of trash and perversion that comes in their minds, causing them to live in defeat and failure. And some people relish the thoughts. Evil people relish it, or people that are worldly, they relish it where the godly people are tormented by these thoughts without even realizing where they come from. And they're coming from the heart. And the reason they're coming from the heart is there's something been planted there that's causing me to have those thoughts and those things to come out of my mouth. And even though the Bible says in Psalms 103, I'll set no worthless thing before my eyes, and I hate the work of those who fall away, it will not fasten its grip upon me. Uh, Believers continue to pervert their minds and defile their spiritual gardens through the things they listen to, the things they see. Proverbs 12, 14 says that we'll be satisfied by good, by the fruit of our words, and the deeds of a man's hands will return to him. And it's no wonder why believers have such little victory in their lives and no holiness in their lives is because they continue to saturate themselves with uh, words that contradict God's word, and they violate their consciences and defile their lives by what they see and what they listen to. Deuteronomy 22 verse 9 says, You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, for all the produce of the seed which have been sown and the increase of the vineyard will be defiled. And this is just a picture. You know, when you have a garden, you don't have to you don't have to take care of the weeds, but you have to take care of the good plants because the weeds will overtake the good. And that's what this scripture is saying in Deuteronomy 22. If you sow two kinds of seed, good seed and bad seed, fruitful seed and, and uh, seeds of weeds in your, your garden, the weeds are going to overtake the good things. And so that's why God's telling us, don't put two kinds of seed in your spiritual garden because the bad seed will corrupt the good seed. Leviticus 26 says, you shall not sow your seed in vanity, which is uselessness, worthlessness, emptiness, for your enemies will eat it up. Well, who did Paul say your enemy was? Principalities and powers, not people. Through movies, television, internet, music, pornography, we're planting seeds of fear and terror and hysteria and torment and adultery and bitterness and lust and greed and sexual perversion and depression and despair and hopelessness, murder, torment, anger, rage, rebellion, antichrist spirits, witchcraft, sorcery, strife, violence, profanity, uh, blasphemy, defeat, failure. If you have been like me, I remember a movie I saw back in when I was in college 
I found myself agreeing with, it was a movie where it was a love affair. In fact, it was the love affair to remember uh, years and years ago. That was a movie, and I don't know if it's still going or not, but Cary Grant and Grace Kelly were committing adultery. And you find yourself agreeing with the adulterer. Now, there's something perverted about that. God's not pleased about that. And over the years, you know, I've had many people tell me that they were just afraid of the dark. They were afraid of this. They were afraid of that. And we'd ask the Lord to show us why. And it could trace it back to a a scary movie they saw. You see, when you look at horror movies and, and fearful movies, movies that make you afraid, you're planting seeds of fear. I used to have a terrible time getting into strife in the earlier years because I used to listen to Clint Eastwood and Charles Bronson movies with my husband. That was about the only thing that we did together. To begin with, I didn't like those kind of movies, but that's what he liked. And then I got to where I liked them. And I could get into strife in just a minute, just a second, because I was planting seeds of strife. If people look at pornography, they're planting seeds of lust and perversion and adultery and orgies and homosexuality. You know, you cannot look at pornography because it's uh, bisexual. I mean, there's orgies of homosexuals, of bestiality, pedophilia, all of those demons. You know, when you're looking at pornography, Jesus said, if you just lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So you have a soul tie with whoever you're looking at. And so you get those demons. Dave Wilkerson wrote a book that I read it in 1978 called Put the Trumpet to Your Mouth. And, you know, you might think it's kind of extreme, but God told him you either you can choose the anointing, my anointing, or you can choose the TV. And that's when God delivered him from it. And you may think that's a little radical, but you know what I'm you know, I'm speaking the truth. If you're a person that's watching movies all the time and then instead of having your focus on the Lord, you're focusing on what you've heard. Uh, and what you've seen. God wants us to ob- to live an overcoming life and not to waste our time. Uh, and since 1992 and until today, I listen to the Word of God when I sleep. I play it as loud as I'm talking because I, I don't want it mumbling. I want to be able to hear it. And I've been playing the Word of God over myself as I sleep since 1992, basically for 24 years. And I think that has probably been one of the greatest things that I've ever done for my life, that's helped my life. And you say, well, you know, if you're asleep, how can you hear it? Well, you know, in the Song of Solomon, the bride says to the to the king, I was asleep, but my spirit was awake. And so your spirit man never sleeps. And that's pouring the word of God over your spiritual garden. That's in Song of Solomon 5.2. And if you're listening to me and you have a problem sleeping, read the word of God. I'm telling you, if the devil's waking you up, you'll go right to sleep. My first husband left me when he, when my boys were eight and 12 for his secretary. I tell you, I had a broken heart. I'm telling you, I would, I was the kind of person that I could walk two miles and never break a sweat because I was cold natured at the time. But when this happened to me, my body was in such trauma that I would, it would be like I would be trying to sleep, but I was awake, if that made sense. I mean, it was just torment. Uh, my gown would be soaking wet. My hair would be wet because my body was in such grief and such trauma. And I remember telling the devil, if you wake me up one more time, I'm going to put the Bible right here on my nightstand. And if you wake me up, I'm going to hit you right between the eyes with the word of God. (laughs) I'm telling you, one time he woke me up, I got the Bible and I started reading it and never again did he wake me up. 
so read the Bible. That'll put you. And you know, sometimes people read the Bible and it puts them to sleep. They have to have a cup of coffee. I remember in early years when I was addicted to caffeine, I'd get up at, like at four or five o'clock in the morning and pray for my family and start praying. And I'd had to have coffee to stay awake. But not now. Praise God, I've been delivered almost three years now of caffeine. And I, I have to make myself go to sleep at night. <laughs> I tell you, and I didn't want you to give me any, any decaf either. <laughs> <laughs> But the Lord, uh, but the Lord delivered me, and He let me get sick. And which, thank God, I've not been sick that much in my whole life. But I was in bed for a whole week, and I, I thought it's really strange. So some of the things I've been asking the Lord, Lord, show me uh, why I get cramps in my feet. Lord, show me why my blood pressure has gotten high. Show me why sometimes I have heart palpitations. Uh, show me why food makes me sleepy. Lord, show me why. Uh, certain foods give me indigestion. Those were questions I, were asked, I was asking the Lord. So he let me be flat on my back for a week. And I thought, it's really strange. I don't have any of those symptoms. And I thought, well, the only thing I'm doing different is not drinking caffeine. Because you don't need caffeine if you're sleeping 24-7. The Lord knew that I, I couldn't stop the caffeine because I had to keep myself going. But anyway, I, I was delivered. And I praise God for that. I haven't been sick since. It's been like three years, I think. But anyway, praise the Lord. One day, the Lord just showed me, and if you're listening, you might want to do this, pull up uh, the effects of caffeine on the adrenal system. And you see all of my symptoms went back to caffeine. But anyway, let's get back to the message. I kind of got off track, but somebody need to hear that. In Hosea 10, verse 4, it says, they speak mere words with worthless oaths. They make covenants and judgment sprouts like poisonous weeds in the furrows of a field. Ephraim, and of course Ephraim means double fruit. It was another word for Israel, producing fruit for the Lord and fruit for the devil. Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh, and that means uh, likes to tread down and make, make the soil of the garden hard. It says, but I will come over her neck with a yoke. I will harness Ephraim. Judah, which means praise, will plow, and Jacob will harrow for himself. So Judah plows up that uh, in the parables of the sower. That the last soil was that good sandy loam kind of soil that would grow anything. But Judah plows it up the hard ground, and Jacob levels it for himself. And in verse 12, it says, Sow with a view to righteousness and reap in accordance with kindness. Break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. So God's telling you, telling us that every day, instead of sowing evil, we need to sow with a view to righteousness. Sow with a view so that good things will come up. It says, you've plowed wickedness and you've, in, you've reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your way, in your numerous warriors. And the kind of seed planted will be the kind of fruit produced. Like if you plant corn, you're going to get a corn seed. If More later in the same thing. So whatever you plant, Galatians 6, 8 says, Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. If we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, we reap, we reap eternal life. In 1 John 3.21, it says, If our conscience is clear, we have confidence in God, and which means faith and trust in God, but it also means freedom of speech. Uh, James 3 says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, uh, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure. This is the kind of seed God wants us to plant. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, before the verse I'm going to read here in Proverbs 4.20, it says in Proverbs 4:23 to watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flows the issues of life. But before it says that, it says, "My son," in verse 20, "my son give attention to my words and incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for their life to those who find them and health to all their whole body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And so we can know what seed's been planted by looking at the fruit. Hebrews 12.10 says, See to it that no root of bitterness takes you over, and by it many be defiled. Before that it says, Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification or holiness, without which no man will see the Lord. And for a root of bitterness, defiling, defilement means to corrupt the chastity, to debauch, to violate, to tarnish the purity of character. It means lewdness. It means to taint, to contaminate. It would kind of be like to contaminate or sully would be like if you had a a basket of white say white towels and they were wet and you throw a black sock on top that black sock would contaminate or sully and that's what a root of bitterness does and so it goes on to say strengthen hands that are weak and knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame will not be put out of joint but rather be healed and so all of our heart issues have to be dealt with one by one as God brings them up as the problems arrive, you know, he's, he, God uses the trials in our life to conform us into his image. It says in Romans 8, 28, it says, uh, everything works together for good to those that love the Lord, to the called according to his purpose. And I can say that's not true if we don't let what we go through conform us into his image. Because it goes on to say, everything works together for good to those that love the Lord, to the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed into the image of his son. So everything God lets us go through as he aligns us with his word, as we take that discipline and that correction, then we get conformed more into the image of Christ. And never think that we can live a life of victory or divine health or be an overcomer if we're going to continue to corrupt our life and defile our conscience with the devil's words and seeds that don't line up with the word of God. Hebrews 9 verse 13, 14 says, For if by the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers sprinkling those who've been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through his eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And so the good news is that all of this can be uprooted. All of this can be changed. And so without a careful guarding of our heart, doorways are opened to defilement and open to the devil. The pure our heart is, the pure our words, the pure our thought life, and the pure our actions will be. And we're responsible for what comes into our hearts. We're responsible for what we allow 
to be planted in our lives. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, 5, and 6 says, The weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but mighty to God for the smashing down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high and lofty thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And of course, as we find out why we're having these thoughts, if it's just a fiery dart, we can rebuke it and it'll leave. But if it's a recurring thought, we know it's coming up out of the heart and we have to find out how I got there, take accountability uh, and repent, and then we can take our thoughts captive. And so as we bring our life into alignment with the Word of God, we can have victory over our thought life. And deliverance and healing will come when we break the power of the words that have been spoken over us, that we've spoken, that how we've cursed ourselves and cursed others. As we look at, uh, look at the fruit and trace the fruit to the root, Find out what kind of seed's been planted, who planted it, if there's somebody we need to forgive, repent of our own sin, and listen to what comes out of our mouth and pay attention to what we're thinking. Uh, Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the doorway or the sin that opened you up to those thoughts. Take accountability for whatever happened. Bring it to the cross. Forgive others. Ask God to forgive you. Forgive yourself. Confess your sin to God and ask him to forgive you of your sin. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Break soul ties with every person who has violated you or that you've been involved with. Break generational curses. Ask God to cleanse you from the generational mess that's come down. Ask the Lord Jesus to cleanse you and sanctify your conscience from all defilement by the precious blood of Jesus. And then Psalms 51 says, ask God to create in you a clean heart and renew in you a right spirit. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Praise God for the victory. And you know, when we line our life with the word of God, here's a wonderful promise. It says in 3 John 3, Beloved, I want above all that you prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. And that word soul is your psyche or your thought life. So as we get our life purified, then we can expect good health and prosperity. And, you know, you mentioned earlier about finances. That's another uh, spiritual route to why we don't have good finances is because um, we haven't prospered and been in good health because our soul has not prospered. And as you do word studies, uh, look up whatever the problem is in whatever area of your life and do a word study in the Bible. Repent over each one, break generational curses, and your soul will prosper more and more. You know, we're all a work in progress. I just trust that this teaching will help you. I think it's probably one of the most beneficial things that God has ever taught me because every day is a day of deliverance for me. When I have a, a thought that's not right or when I have something going on that distresses me, I always say, okay, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? I deal with it and get it out and ask God to cleanse me. God changes me from glory to glory and strength to strength. And so I praise God for all that he's done. Amen. Well, Sister Jerry, if you don't mind, please do lead the listeners into deliverance part. It's so important. All right. So, Lord, in the name of Jesus, if those of you who are listening, if you'll just pray with me, I ask you to forgive me, Lord. 
for not producing fruit for you. Forgive me for allowing things to be planted in my life through through not taking accountability, through not forgiving other people. Forgive me for not watching over my heart, Lord. Lord, forgive me for allowing things in my life that I shouldn't. Forgive me for the things I've looked at, the things I've listened to. I want to present my body to you as a living sacrifice. Forgive me for not abiding in you. Forgive me for sowing to the flesh, reaping corruption. God, forgive me for planting the wrong kind of seeds in my life through the things I've listened to, the things I've seen. Forgive me for not sowing with a view to righteousness. Forgive me for being like Ephraim, tramping down my spiritual garden. Forgive me for a hardness of heart. Lord, would you please forgive me for worthless words and for wasting time. Forgive me for not loving you with my whole heart. Lord, forgive me for corrupting myself. God, forgive me for being fruitless. I want to present my body to you, Lord, as a living sacrifice in the name of Jesus. I forgive all the people that have hurt me. I ask you to forgive me for hurting others. And Lord, forgive me for subjecting myself to movies, television, music, pornography that's planted the wrong kind of seeds. And in the name of Jesus, we come against fear, terror. In the name of Jesus, hysteria, torment, adultery, we break your power, bitterness, greed, lust, sexual perversion, depression, we break your power, hopelessness, despair, murder, we break the power in the name of Jesus of fruitlessness, break the power of every spirit that would cause us to be cut off, Lord, we ask you to put the hedge around us, we ask you to rebuild the fence, we ask you to show us, Lord, how to rebuild and plant, how to pull down, uproot, and pluck out the things, we break the power of rebellion. We break the power of antichrist, witchcraft, sorcery, strife, violence, profanity, blasphemy, unforgiveness, defeat, failure, poverty in the name of Jesus. We break the power of every spirit that would keep us from the word of God. Lord, forgive us for sowing our vineyard with two kinds of seed. We break the power of the weeds. We ask you, Lord, we pull down, uproot, and pluck out every weed, every thorn, every thistle in the name, power, blood, and by the authority of Jesus' name. Lord, we just praise your name. We bless you, Lord. We praise your mighty name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sister Jerry, for that very powerful prayer. And in the waning moments, Jerry, please do give out your website and how people can get in touch with you and check out some of the resources you have. Just jerrymcgee.com, and that's G like George, E-R-I, McGee, M-C-G-H-E-E.com. Well, again, thank you for this very powerful teaching on the law of sowing and reaping because it's something we really all need to study out because the concepts of sowing and reaping, they so apply to us today in so many areas of our life. And I just really thank you for teaching that. And also, I do hope that you come back and see us real soon. You have great teachings. I know you travel around at conferences, and we were just very blessed to have you on the program. And I hope you come back and join us soon, Jerry. Thank you. Oh, thank you for letting me be on. Thanks, Jerry. Folks, that was Jerry McGee, jerrymcgee.com. Her information is linked there today on the November 18th bio. Do reach out to Jerry and let her know you heard her on the program today. Very powerful teaching. Well, I'm researching Pizzagate. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, well, you're in for a barn burner show on Monday with Pastor Mike Hoggard. It's always a pleasure to have Mike on going to be a very powerful lineup next week. So you want to be listening next week. And I want to really thank you for your prayers because my left knee day to day is slowly getting better. 
This osteopath seems to be helping. How interesting. And of course, for the bone on bone, the cartilage abrasion, Dr. Ted Brower has hooked me up with some products. So I'm hopeful to be getting around a little better in the days and weeks to come. And I leave you today with what I think is such an amazing scripture. It comes out of Romans 8. The Amplified Version goes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present or things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. That is encouraging. Have a very blessed weekend. We'll see you Monday. Good night and God bless you.